Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Tuesday, the 26th of November. I'm Jules Breach. He's Andy Brassel. This is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. No, no, it's, it's, it's not under pressure. It's, it's demands. I, I, I have a big demands because my responsibility is big. And uh, now it's... Uh, job for my job is uh, to find solution coming up on this week's show we're going to be discussing the premier league managers who are under a little bit of pressure whether manchester city are still in this title race and we'll also chat about the european hopes of north london's finest andy lots to talk about but first of all how was your weekend uh, yeah pretty good um I'm recovering from a small bout of the giggles during your intro. <laughs> but I'm, I'm fine apart from that. Yeah, it was, it was good. Of course, we had uh, the Copa Libertadores on um, the BBC, which was pretty nice. Uh, I was delighted to see Jorge uh, Jesus uh, win that. I didn't get a chance to watch that. Tell me what happened. Oh, well, it, it was great um, because uh, Football Ramble's very own Jonathan Wilson was was on there next to Gilberto Silva, uh, which was fantastic. Um, it was kind of like... If I can describe it to you, I suppose I would describe it to you like Manchester United winning the Champions League in 1999 in that Flamengo play great football, best team in the competition. In the final, it's just not happening for them. They're losing 1-0. They deserve to be losing 1-0. River Plate are going to win it. And then uh, Gabriel Barbosa or Gabigol, as he 
calls himself, I think, very much like Paul Ince, he likes to promote his own nickname. <laughs> anyway, he scored two in the 89th and I guess the 93rd minute, got himself sent off in the 95th, but obviously still came out to help lift up the trophy. And it was, it was fantastic. We got the projector out at home. Did you? Uh, to, to, to get it's it on the wall. special occasion then. Yeah, it, it really was. I, the thing you forget, though, when you've got small children is it starts with shadow puppets and then they want to be in it. They're trying to get in it, which is quite annoying. <laughs> well, do you know, I didn't have the chance to watch that game. I was actually in the pub, so it was on in the background. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really pay much attention to it because I was um, three red wines in by that point. Yeah. Um, but on Sunday, I spent the hot... I had a really proper lazy Sunday. I did absolutely nothing. You had the full multi-screen I, business going yeah, on, I didn't did, you? Yeah, I did. It was quite difficult to actually concentrate on, but... Um, Obviously, I, I, if you haven't seen the photo, I was watching three football matches at the same time. And it's it's a blessing that we've got the FA player this year where every single live WSL game is shown. And then BT Sport had um, the Chelsea game on as well. So I had BT Sport on my TV and then I had my iPad and my laptop with two other games on, on the, the FA player on at the same time. So which, great. which WSL game were you watching? So there was um, on the telly, it was Chelsea against Birmingham. Then on the, the FA player, I was watching West Ham Reading and then Arsenal's game as well. So, oh, so, so the, yeah, Chelsea. It was Chelsea Birmingham, wasn't it? It was yeah. at Birmingham, wasn't it? Where Beth England scored that amazing goal from the she the, did. the uh, Millie Bright pass. Yeah, I mean that was that was proper. Like, remember what Dante used to do for Bayern Munich, where he used to search out Mario Mandzukic and just do one of those massive long seventy yard passes. It really reminded me of that, actually. Yeah, Millie was amazing in that game as well. I mean, when you see a centre half getting into the box and scoring goals, it's exactly what you want to see. Although Emma Hayes was fuming after the game and said that she thought it was a really poor performance from the girls, despite oh, really? the fact they absolutely battered Birmingham but there you go um, but yeah so that's what I did with my Sunday I watched three games at the same time that all ended and then I watched uh, Sheffield United against Man United as well so it was a full day of just sitting on the sofa doing absolutely soddle but eating and watching football well that sounds great but mm. I have to say the weird thing about Sunday I mean it doesn't really happen that often anymore that you have only one Premier League game and of course it was an excellent Premier League game as I were discussing on, on the ramble yesterday for quite a lot of that day, with there being so little Premier League, of course, I was watching loads of European games. You feel that there's got to be something to fill the vacuum, like perhaps a little manager sacking, yeah. for example. Mm. And there are so many on the brink at the moment. I don't know about you. I feel very tense entering a podcast studio at the moment because I'm thinking, well, while we're in here, what's, Anything could happen. what's, what's happening out there? Because yeah. you think of the the, the, the people who are looking over their shoulders at the moment. I mean, the most obvious ones, I suppose, will be Unai Emery, uh, Manuel Pellegrini, Marco Silva, even... Kike Sanchez Flores. Yeah, well, this is a really interesting one because when we were when we were talking about this before we came into the studio, we were saying, you know, there are quite a few Premier League managers under pressure. And when you mentioned Kike Sanchez Flores, I thought, is he? Because he's only recently just taken the job at Watford. But then you pointed out... This, I think the key word there is Watford, isn't it? Mm, it is. They're bottom of the table. Uh, this article in The Times kind of points it out. And it's not it's not a very big piece written by Ian Winrow, but he does make some good points. Um, and what, what he's suggesting is, you know, he's been there and he's only won one of the nine games since he took over from Javi Grazia. And mm. we're obviously expecting a bit more of a turnaround from Watford because when you look at where they are in the table, they're a better team than that, aren't they? And they shouldn't really be at the bottom of no. the table. And we're expecting there to be a bit of a change since uh, Flores took over. And it has improved. I do think it has improved. You know, they've they've 
they've got a few points since he took over. It is just the one win, but they've picked up a few draws in there and the performances have definitely improved, particularly with clean sheets. And they've got Troy Deeney coming back now and he's going to make a massive difference yeah. once he's fully fit and starting games as well. I was surprised to see that this article was written that the, the headline of it is the next game could decide the fate of Kike Sanchez Flores and, and that's against Southampton next weekend. Do you really think that, that if they lose that, he could get the sack? Yep, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's Watford. And, you know, if you think about it, in the whole time that they've been in the, the Premier League, this time, it's not been about stability in the in the coach's position. The stability has been elsewhere in the club. And I think that's the thing. They've never been really realistically close to the prospect of relegation, have they, before? But here, they look in proper trouble. I think the interesting thing you were saying about Troy Deeney there, I mean, you know, we talked about how Javi Gracia was unlucky in certain ways. I mean, imagine two coaches get sacked without having the chance to call on Troy Deeney, mm. that, that would be really unfortunate. Yeah. But it would also be very Watford. I mean, their model is uh, generally a, a, a pretty prudent one. But, you know, they, they haven't hesitated in, in, in firing coaches before. And it, it's always kind of worked for them, really. You know, you, you look at them, you don't think of them as a basket case club. Okay, they're a club that do things very differently to, to any other Premier League or, for that matter, championship club. Um, but they're quite happy to to turn over and turn over and turn over, aren't they? And it, to me, it always seemed a little curious about Kike Sanchez Flores going, going back. back there. Mm. I think when your home form is is poor, that's really telling of kind of where you are at as a club. And it's now eleven consecutive games at home, and Watford haven't won. It's the first time that's, that's ever happened yeah. in their history, and that's really bad. And I think that the the strange thing is, is when a new manager comes in and we've just seen it with Mourinho at Tottenham and it's, we're going to talk more about that later, but you'd expect there to be this new manager bounce, don't you? And and Watford haven't really had that, despite the fact, as I mentioned already, they've picked up a few points, they've got a couple of draws, they've got one win under Flores, but they've just not really had that uplift that you expect when a new manager comes in. I guess the question has to be, did he need kind of, Champions League form to get them in a decent position given that where he started with because I would agree with you there have, have been promising signs but maybe promise isn't enough where they are I mean I, I saw them at Tottenham last month and they were really good for a lot of that they deserved to win the game and yet they couldn't close it out despite the fact that the Spurs were having an absolutely terrible day and and that is the sort of thing that concerns you like individual results like getting absolutely belted at Manchester City as long as that doesn't have any lingering effects on confidence, it's one of those things that doesn't really mean anything. They're all, almost playing in a different league to, to Manchester City. They're not aiming at the same sort of things during the season. So that's not really the, the big deal. But the, the fact that the only team they've beaten so far is Norwich is an issue. And what I would say is concerning, if you go back to that game up against Burnley at the weekend, I think for the first like 50, 60 minutes of that, they're excellent. They're the better team. But I think when you play well, and you're still not getting points out of a game. I mean, does that point to lack of confidence? Once the first goal goes in, does it all go? I think it's it's difficult, you have to say, going 1-0 down to Burnley as well because they were organised and once they had a proper foothold in the game, they they found it easier to to, to manage the game from, from there. 
but I think you could understand at the end of that, the coach going, whether whether it be Kike Sanchez-Flores, as in this case, or anyone else, if you send your team out there, and there's no sense, I don't think, of deserted him or anything like that, but when you send your team out there and they do play well for an hour and then you end up getting beaten 3-0, I, there must be a part of you that thinks, where do we go from here? Yeah, and I, th- I think you're you're right there because this has happened to Watford since Flores has taken over where they've they've had quite large, good spells in games where mm. if they'd taken chances, you could potentially have seen a different result. And and just like that on Saturday, I, I mean, if Delefeo that... took his chance, it could have been a very different game in that first half because they were, they were yeah. by far the better team in the first 45 minutes. I mean, does this just mean, Jules, that it's all down to Troy Deeney not being there? Or, or did they need more cover? Have those coaches been let down by the transfer business that's been done or hadn't done? And I, I guess I'm thinking have they made a mistake in, in, in signing Danny Welbeck? Because we know Danny Welbeck, depending on how much of the, your budget that takes up, we know he's a class player. We know he's a player probably for a, a bigger and better team than Watford if it's not for the fitness issues. But you can't separate the fitness issues from the reality, as mm. Ben Golliver of the Washington Post always says, the greatest ability is availability, isn't it? Mm. And he's not. And the thing is with with Troy Deeney and and you saying that, you know, is it down to Troy Deeney being out that's Watford's biggest problem? When when your team are relying that much on one player, and I know he's the captain, I know Mm. he's the leader, and I know he brings a lot to that dressing room and when he's on the pitch as well. But if your team are relying that much on one player and it can cause that much of a difference when when they're out, that's not a good place to be. And I think it's a, a fairly similar story to what we're seeing at West Ham at the moment. And I don't know whether it is too simplistic to say Troy Deeney is the reason why Watford are where they are and Fabianski being injured for West Ham is why West Ham are where they are. It's too simplistic to say that, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I guess we're like a detective duo, aren't, aren't we? Really, <laughs> we're trying our best. A bit because I, I suppose, like, if if it was a cop show, we'd be saying the simplest solution is probably the right one. And I think there's there's something in that. I think you could make an argument that if Sebastian Aller, for example, was at Watford, they'd be twelfth. I, I think you could make that argument, and it's a dangerous place to be in to be relying on Troy Deeney. One, because, yeah, you can't just rely on one player. And two, because he went through a massive dry spell last season. So that is the point, really, at which you've got to be looking at it and addressing it and saying, well, look, maybe we are relying too much on this guy. Let's kind of future-proof ourselves. And, and that's really what they've, they've failed to do. Now, going back to, to West Ham and, and, and Pellegrini, they've got an issue because there's an, all the focus really does fall on the coach there, I think more so than at Watford, simply because um, he's had an opportunity to have a lot of input into the composition of the the, the squad. Of course, the, the the sporting director at the start of the season, who he, he knew pretty well from, from Malaga, and yet they still have this a quite an unbalanced squad. There's a lot of talent in there, but you just feel they're not providing anything for Allah. I, I feel very sorry for him. I think he's been cut off. He's been isolated and I know on match of the day they were analysing it on um, Saturday after they played Spurs of course and it was their league game because of the return of Mourinho and there was a lot of criticism of, of Allaire but I don't I don't think that's entirely fair I think if if the ball doesn't come you do eventually stop making the runs 
Yeah, I think that um, from what I was seeing of what West Ham fans were, were sort of saying about the game on Saturday when I was in the studio and obviously, you know, the game had just finished. We were then talking about the other matches that kicked off at three o'clock, but I was keeping an eye on what tweets were coming in for, for mm. the matches. And the West Ham fans that had been in touch were all saying that, you know, they are blaming the goalkeeper and there were a couple of, you know, there was, it was he was terrible again, mm. Roberto, wasn't he, for, for West Ham and didn't have a good game. And Aled didn't have the service and that's something that West Ham fans are seeing and they, they can see that there's something not quite right and that it's not gelling together and whose fault is that? And a lot of them are pointing the finger at Pellegrini, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, and I think that's not entirely unreasonable. You know, there are some big holes in that team despite the fact that there's an enormous amount of talent and I do believe that uh, Aler and Pablo Fornals, who is a really good player. I'm, I'm not sure if he was necessarily the priority for them when you consider that they've got um, players like Yarmolenko, Lantini, cl- clearly there were injuries, but there were so many other creative players. That's not really what they needed in midfield. But, but I do believe that the Fournals and Allaire will, will settle at some point. But when you're looking at a team that clearly has an issue with confidence at the moment, it, it, it's something that clearly spreads through the the whole team. But it was it was funny. You were saying to me earlier, Jules, that it is a case of expectation, isn't it, to a certain degree? Because it's since everyone started talking about Europe that it seems to have fallen apart a little bit. Yeah, I think that you know, if we look back to say the first couple weeks of the season, I remember we um, we had someone um, tweet us or write in and and say, you know who do you guys think could break into the top six this season? And I remember saying that West Ham, on paper, have an excellent team. And That's I very honest they, of you. <laughs> and I think that they could break into the top six. And another team that I thought could do that were Everton. And, you know, it's it's those two teams when the expectations were were so high because at the first the first few weeks of the season when we were seeing the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham and Manchester United not performing at their best and then it looked as though the door was slightly open for a different team to break into the traditional top 6 this season the most likely candidates looked like they were going to be West Ham Everton and obviously Leicester who are absolutely flying so yeah, and, and and I feel like ever since then, both teams have just dramatically slipped away. And you look at the table now, West Ham are only three points above the relegation zone and Everton only have one more point than West Ham. And Marco Silva is a manager under serious pressure right now. And um, just before I left the house to come in to the Ramble studio, I did see that Everton were in talks to potentially replace the manager was the headline on Sky Sports News. So when you see something like that, and, you know, at the time of recording, all these managers do still have their jobs. But I have no idea what to expect over the next 24 hours and over the next week, come the weekend, who, you know, could potentially lose their job. And I I, I do think it's a shame because we want to see managers given time to work with a squad and, and work with a team. And there's nothing nicer than seeing a manager turn things around from when something's not going very well. It's a really nice thing to be able to see and, and see that change and see a group of players come together and start yeah. working as a team again. You know, that's what we want to see. Um, I love seeing winning in football. And it's not nice when, when you know, 
you see managers that are under a lot of pressure and they're getting stick from the fans. Um, so I hope that they do manage to turn things around. But we know how football works. It's not going to happen for all of them, is it? No, it's, it's not. And um, I, I do feel with Everton, it's just the Norwich result is a problem in and of itself. Like I said, we talked about them a while back and I don't think they've been too bad in recent weeks. They've played some decent stuff. Um, they've never looked like they've deserted Marco Silva, pretty much like Kike Sanchez Flores. But a lot of people, the minute I asked if anyone had questions <laughs> or if they'd like to address to us on Twitter, first load of them were about Everton. Uh, Matt Spencer, what do you see uh, happening to Everton for the rest of the season? Jim Stanley, will they be going down? Joe Bird's got involved as as, as well. So... You know, there really is anticipation of, of of something happening. And just when you hear the booze sort of drowning out the cheers after a goal, which we did at Goodison, after that second Norwich goal, you know that it's approaching some sort of tipping point, don't you? Yeah, and it was... Uh... Exactly the same thing at the Emirates as well for Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah. God, those boos at the full-time whistle were louder than any of the cheers for either of the goals that they scored. That says a lot. It also, that that is one of the most curious post-goal moments that I've seen in in a while. Lacazette. Yeah, mm. where I, I guess because he scored, he thought it wasn't something to celebrate and there clearly wasn't time to get the ball out of the net, come back and chase a winner. Yeah. So he kind of thought, oh, what am I going to do? Pull my socks up, maybe? Yeah, it was it was weird, wasn't it? And just, it was a strange moment because as soon as the, the board went up and it said seven minutes of extra time, you just thought, Arsenal are going to get something out of this now mm. and they don't deserve it because they didn't. I thought Southampton thoroughly deserved to get the win and somehow Arsenal managed to get something out of that game. And even the Arsenal fans will say we didn't deserve it. The Arsenal fans that were there said they didn't deserve anything out of that game. And I know that, you know, Arsenal fans tend to be quite negative. And there there seems to be this horrible thing right now where there's certain fans that are almost hoping that Arsenal lose so that Unai Emery gets the sack. I can't get my head around fans wanting their own team to lose so that a decision like that is made. That just seems utterly crazy to me. But w- when you know it's going to be for the long-term benefit of the the club, that's different, isn't it? Because you're thinking, it, is one little win against Southampton really going to change anything? Uh, we, we, we've had um, Arsenal fans in touch as well. Um, Mike from uh, Victoria in Canada has got in touch. Thanks, Mike. Says, um, if I could fire a manager, it would be Emery. Uh, his tactical ineptitude shows up when um, Arsenal fall behind. And uh, he doesn't know how to motivate players, but unknown why Sanyehi, Raul Sanyehi, of course, is keeping him around. Mm. We had um, absolute Arsenal legend Tony Adams in the BT Sports studio with us and he was actually watching the Arsenal-Southampton game. And um, you know what Tony's like, he's absolutely hilarious and will always be completely and utterly honest about Arsenal. He just bleeds Arsenal doesn't he Um, and obviously he was wearing one of his character suits as always he was wearing a checkered green and blue suit okay (laughs) of course he was Um, also he did point out that um, he liked the jumpsuit I was wearing which was corduroy and he specifically went ooh a corduroy jumpsuit and I thought (laughs) first of all a footballer noticing your fashion 
Well, that that's, says a lot, doesn't that, it? That, that's the first time in a long time that anyone's had any praise for corduroy. I think. <laughs> I know. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was uh, slightly scared about wearing it, but if you get praise from Tony Adams, you know you're onto a winner. So um, yeah, but he was sat there in his um, in his character suit, and uh, he was just. You could tell how gutted he was watching Arsenal the whole afternoon. And at the end, he just said, he has to go. Unai Emery has to go. Those were Tony Adams' words. The point is not enough. Uh, how we play it is not enough. And I, un- I understand the, the, play, the support and the play, they are frustrated. But uh, now it's to analyse and, and, uh, and to find solutions for to improve. And, and we know here that Emery uh, is, uh, is uh, the key for, for to improve and to connect with our supporters and, and to feel comfortable and to feel strong. Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Of course, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble on Twitter. You can also email us, uh, Jules and Andy, at footballrambledaily.com with any questions or uh, any special offers you might have for us. We get a lot of special offers, by the way. um, The last one we had was um, an hour's worth of bowling. I think we should take it up. It's 35% off, wasn't it? Oh, I thought it was free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've clearly read right. the email wrong. <laughs> Maybe if you buy a certain amount of food, you get it for free. Cle- clearly, we need to come to an agreement <laughs> on the ec- economic policy. Um, yeah, but a-, a lot of people have been in touch. So uh, thank you so much for getting in touch with, with us. Um, but we wanted to have a word about Manchester City because weirdly, they're kind of under our correspondence radar at the moment, aren't they? What do you think it is? Do you think people have completely written off their their chances of of coming back and winning the Premier League? I still think, and not just because they beat Chelsea this weekend, which I wasn't convinced they'd do, 
before kickoff. And of course, they didn't start the game particularly well. I thought Chelsea were excellent, especially in the first half. They're still kind of in the mix, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. I think the majority of people, if you ask them, would would still say that Manchester City are very much in this title race. I don't think it's it's you can say it's over yet. Is that because of them or because of like the historical precedent with Liverpool? The fact that we've not seen Liverpool close out a league since the start of the 90s. Yeah, it's a bit of both, isn't it? And I think that when you look at, it seems crazy to think because Liverpool are nine points ahead of Manchester City right now. For Man City to overtake Liverpool in the league, they have to win every single game and Liverpool would have to lose at least three and drop points in a fourth game. And when you look at Liverpool right now, you just can't see that happening. They always find a way. They always find yeah. a way, don't they, Liverpool? And and it seems as though it's one of those seasons now, doesn't it? Where every single game, even if Liverpool aren't playing well, they seem to they seem to get a win. They seem to win late. They seem to come back from behind. It's just it just feels like Liverpool have got something in them this season that's going to take them all the way. But I still think it's too soon to say. Man City are out of it. Who, who was watching the Liverpool game for you on score this weekend and how bonkers did they go when the Firmino goal went in? Yeah, Jermaine. Jermaine Genus right. was watching it. Um, he went more bonkers that when the um, Crystal Palace goal was ruled out for that push on Lovren. Right. Um, we were all so confused about it at the time because obviously when you watch that goal in real time, you don't see yeah. that happen. And obviously there was quite a long delay with VAR checking that moment and pretty much the majority of the panel for the first sort of five minutes of looking at that incident all agreed that it was the wrong decision and then having looked at it back again a little bit later on in the show I think Paul Lintz and Robbie Savage both agreed it was the right decision. Yeah I thought it was the right decision I thought it was a fairly clear right decision but don't you think that's part of the problem with our perception at the moment the fact that if you don't see it initially, it's more difficult to convince yourself that that is actually yeah. the correct intervention. I think the most difficult thing with um, VAR is that at the moment, as football fans, we feel like VAR are doing everything they can to find reasons to disallow goals. And that's not what it should be there for. Yeah. It should be there just to kind of correct some obvious mistakes mm. and I think that's the disappointing thing is that like Palace are, scoring against Liverpool for example <laughs> there are far too many moments where they're just picking at the tiniest things and going yeah that's that's probably enough of a reason to rule that goal out let's rule that one out I'll tell you what we have got no business complaining against VAR because if VAR's an enemy of any anyone it's not an enemy of the people it's an enemy of Raheem Sterling it is isn't it it, it goes off celebrating goals and then Ten minutes later, I, if, if I was him, I wouldn't dare celebrate your goal yeah, well, uh, any, it, anymore. It wouldn't have changed the result of the game anyway, would no, it? it wouldn't. But the 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 that moment, I, I was in the pub watching the game, and I was so relieved when it got chalked off because quite a few people in my fantasy mini leagues had Sterling as captain, <laughs> and I was and I was beating all of those people at the time. So I was like, please, no, no, no! And then when it got ruled out, I was like, come on. And I was absolutely <laughs> delighted because I made a shrewd move just before the deadline, took Salah out. I thought, I'm not risking it. Took Salah out and I've had Salah in my team from the start, put Mane in and I stuck the captain's armband on, on him as well. So it paid off. And that that Sterling moment, that is going to be one of those moments that come the end of the season will 
lose and win a lot of mini leagues for people. Really? Yeah, big, big moment in FPL that was. I was okay, so well, relieved, good, good to, so relieved. Good, good to know that it wasn't in <laughs> but, vain. Um, but yeah, but yeah, as you say, you know, that Sterling, bless him. I mean, the amount of times he's he's scored goals this season, they've been chalked off by VAR. He's well, just... you, you always think of the one against Tottenham, mm. really, don't you, in the Champions League? That's, that's the one. Um, but yeah, I, I think Manchester City did excellently not to panic when they were second best, when they were a goal down. They really showed a different side to themselves here. I mean, the boys were talking on the ramble yesterday about how they had less possession. But to manage a game in a way that's not a very Pep Guardiola way to manage a game, I thought was very impressive. Riyad Mahrez, of course, stepping in for Bernardo Silva, who I thought would be a massive miss in this game and eventually deciding the the game with his, his best Iron Robin impression. Paolo Dybala was doing the same thing for Juventus <laughs> away at Atalanta. So I think it was officially Iron Robin tribute <laughs> weekend. Um but Mares could be really valuable for them going forward. I mean clearly they've got some issues with depth in, with depth in certain areas of the team. But in other areas of the team, well it's still an embarrassment of riches. And I, I guess as going back to your point, that's why I can't really rule them out. Yeah, definitely. And, and and defensively they've they've got their issues, don't they, Manchester City? But they'll come through that. They're they're too good a team to let that affect them too much. And going forward, because they are so talented and so good and they've got so much depth and so many different options that they can play with and work with in matches they are always going to score goals. And yeah. as long as you're scoring more goals than your opponent, you're going to win matches. And I think that that's the blessing that Manchester City have and and um, and what will keep them in this title race right, right to the end of the season. And also for Liverpool, they've not been playing that well so it's remarkable that they're as far ahead as they are really when you, when you when you break it down because defensively Liverpool haven't been that great either no. but yet they are where they are and they're yet to lose a game in the Premier League and they've only kept two clean sheets this season both of them away from home and you think of Anfield as this fortress but yet it's not been that way this season but yet they're still winning games and and not losing at home and if they continue to do that and they pick up form defensively this is going to be so hard for Manchester City to catch but you can see there being the odd slip up here or there through Mm. the season I just I don't know whether Man City will catch them but I wouldn't rule them out at all now I've kind of touched on North London already a bit Jules with uh, the Unai Emery thing Um, but it's an interesting week for North London's clubs, two premier clubs, uh, Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, they're both at home in the Champions League and Europa League, uh, respectively, this week. Uh, Spurs against Olympiacos tonight, where they'll try and clinch qualification. I know you're going to be at that one. I'm going to be at Arsenal on Thursday, which will be a bit of an unusual occasion against Eintracht Frankfurt, because Frankfurt, famous for their enormous support, won't be bringing it because they're not allowed to bring any fans uh, to, to North London, which will clearly affect the atmosphere in some way. Those games but, are always really weird when there's no really away weird. fans. I've, I've done two of those matches already this season. Mm. And it's always a strange atmosphere because there's no one for the home fans to sort of... Feed off. Yeah, go off against and sort yeah. of, you know, that's kind of part of football, isn't it? Having that rivalry. And when you don't have it in the stadium, it does create a bit of an odd atmosphere I do think it's an advantage to the home side, not having any away fans there. Um, it's just more strange than anything, though. One, one, one of my favourite moments, though, I, I agree, you do need that back and forth. It was when I was going to see Arsenal play uh, V 
Vittorio Gimelech earlier in this competition. And uh, there was this guy dressed up, um, loads of Gimelech fans um, from, I guess, largely from the, the London Portugal, Portuguese community, stood outside uh, the pub outside Highbury in Islington. And I saw a bloke dressed as an archbishop like, was it, drinking, was it, a, drinking was it, a can um, of lager. Was it the cock pub? Yeah, the famous cock. <laughs> the famous cock. Yeah, every time, oh no, it's so immature. But every <laughs> every time I get out of the tube station, I see the famous cock. I'm like, there it is. <laughs> I, I, I deliberately didn't say it, so it wouldn't make you giggle. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. But but there you go. <laughs> but given that the Premier League seasons of Spurs and Arsenal have have gone awry a little bit, there's maybe a bit of an opportunity for for them in this now. P- perhaps the Europa League and whatever happens in it, and we do expect Arsenal to go through. Um, the Europa League is not going to save Unai Emery, I don't think. But what about Mourinho? Hmm. Because clearly they could still get top four, but it's going to be a battle. Um, I think very much depends on Chelsea and how they maintain their form. But could the Champions League be an opportunity for Mourinho to do something? Because in recent years... It's an arena in which he's disappointed in, despite the fact that he's got this incredible history with the competition. Well, Tottenham can qualify tonight, can't they? As yeah. long as they match Red Star's result against Bayern Munich, they can qualify as a, as early as tonight, which, I mean, Mourinho walking into that as his first home match since he's taken over as the Spurs manager, yeah. his first Champions League game as the Tottenham boss. I mean, that's... That's a great position to be in for, I mean, it, for it Mourinho is... because it's quite a quick way to get the fans on side, isn't it? Because we all know how gutted and how upset, I would say, 98% of Tottenham fans were mm. when Maurizio Pochettino was sacked last week. And then a few hours later, Jose Mourinho, this kind of villain of football, gets appointed <laughs> as the manager. It's almost like polar opposites, isn't it? Pochettino to Mourinho and... It's going to take a bit of time and it's going to take winning something or having success at Spurs to win a lot of these fans around. And I know he's probably already done it by getting the win in the London derby on Saturday against West Ham. That's a good start. Yeah, yeah. it's a good start. Qualification tonight in the Champions League, that will then get another bunch of fans on side if if they manage to do that. And then... That just sets him up for quite a nice start at Spurs as the as the new manager, and 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 it will just continue to progress from there. And I I do believe that Mourinho will win something with this Tottenham side. Really, I do. I think that he's just got it in him, hasn't he? He's a serial winner, and no matter what anyone says about what Mourinho is like. Yes, he lost his way, particularly at Manchester United, and, and he seemed a very different person. Well, he still won stuff, if you want to look at the and detail. he still won. He still yeah. won. And so you look at what Pochettino has done with Tottenham over the last five years, it's nothing short of amazing. He mm. turned this that club into a place where Jose Mourinho would take a job, first of all. Because yeah, exactly. five years ago, Mourinho wouldn't have even looked at Tottenham no as an way. option. No way, you're and right. And yet now... Jose Mourinho, who is one of, regardless of what anyone says, love him or hate him, regardless of what you think of Jose Mourinho, he's one of the best managers of this modern era. Mm. And he's now at Tottenham and he is going to be so desperate to get a win there and prove everyone wrong that that's doubted him. But you're right as well. I think that Pochettino has, has left him in this advantageous situation. Certainly in Europe, they're in a much better position than they were in the group last year. It is 
the equivalent of leaving an excellent casserole in the fridge with a, <laughs> with a, with a nice bottle of red wine to accompany it, really, isn't it? Because, um, yeah, all he has to do is, is get this win against uh, Olympiacos, who have their strengths, but are, are not the greatest away from home in, in, in Europe. So it's a really good opportunity for him. And um, I, th- I think really what I'm interested to see, what can Mourinho do? I, for me, there's no doubt that they'll go through tonight. What can he do in the back end of the Champions League? Because if you look at United against Sevilla, if you look at Chelsea against Paris Saint-Germain, there are some big knockout ties in which he's been shown up really tactically in the last five years or so. And so just as we can talk about Pep Guardiola not having won the Champions League since 2011, Mourinho has got to prove that he's relevant again in the modern Champions League context. So we can talk about Tottenham like winning something and you know it's nice to win trophies so if they win an FA Cup or a, a League Cup then they're nice but really if he can prove that he's still to, to prove that he's still relevant in the modern game he's still really one of one of the, the best managers not he has been one of the best managers but but he is one of the best managers doing something significant in the back end of the Champions League with Tottenham I think would be a, a real feather in his cap and I think with that in mind I mean there's a big load of fuss in France at the moment about uh, Lille are very annoyed about the way he took away um, Christophe Galtier's two assistants uh, Joao Sacramento and Nuno Santos and Sacramento young guy who was um, assistant to Marcelo Bielsa uh, initially before they, they fell out then the caretaker manager before he was assistant to Galtier young guy Portuguese very, very smart tactician. And I think Mourinho is smart enough to know that he needs something else. He needs some new ideas. He needs to start again. Because you know how these new, co- uh, how when, a, when a, a new manager comes in, they, they basically get all the, all the old boys back together, didn't they? You know, they, they, they get the band back together and say, right, well, th- this is where we're pitching up next. I think this is quite an interesting departure clearly Rui Fadi is off doing something else at the moment he's, he's he's coaching in the Middle East but I think for him to take that step of saying okay I need to start again I need to have some new ideas I need help that makes me think that there could be something for Tottenham in this Champions League maybe wow um that's that's a big call isn't it because Champions League's such a tough competition yeah, and yeah it is I I think that if can Mourinho get them to a final in this this season, I can't see. I just can't see it happening, Andy. I just can't, and I don't know why. Weird things just, have happened. Yeah, weird things have happened. But like is, Mourinho taking charge yeah, of Tottenham yeah, yeah. in the first place. But that is a massive call. If he that would be extraordinary if he got them if he got them to a to a final. But what what would be okay? Let, let's take it back to Spurs and Arsenal in Europe, Jules. What would be success for both those clubs in Europe this season? Well, I think Arsenal need to win it, really, don't they? Arsenal yes, need to win I the agree. Europa League. That's that really would be their only success because they need to go one better than they did last year, and and that would be winning it. Yeah, you could say similarly for Tottenham. The only thing that would better last year would be winning the Champions but, League. But realistically, but realistically, is that realistic? No, I don't, I can't see Tottenham getting to the Champions League final again. And I, I don't know why, I just don't think that it's their year. I think that it's been the team and 
the departure of Maurizio Pochettino, that whole shake-up has, has probably rocked the team a bit. And I, mm. I just, I don't see them, you know, last year I wouldn't have predicted they got to the final and no. they're in a better position, in my opinion, last year than they were this year. But, but arguably, if they got to the quarters or the semis and got knocked out by like a good opponent, is that acceptable? I mean, arguably, that that would show Mourinho's progressed as well as them, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. And I think that that would be, you know, it'd still be good. It'd still be decent. And I think ultimately what Tottenham fans want is to start building something with Jose Mm. Mourinho as the boss. So if they, you know, got to the late stages of the Champions League and got knocked out, but they still finished in the top four of the Premier League this season Mm. and perhaps won a domestic trophy like the FA Cup... That would be a massive. I still think that would be a huge, massive success for Spurs this this season. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's pretty much it for this week, isn't it? I think it is. Um, keep getting in touch with us, and uh, anything you want us to answer on on the show, we'd gladly do it at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble on Twitter, and of course, you can email us as well with anything longer than the Twitter account, uh, Jules and Andy at Football Ramble Daily We're off to do some European football and uh, we'll see you again next week. Have a good one. This was a Stakhanov production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.